Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hello, everybody. This is Vince Russo. I am the former head writer of the WWE Attitude Era. Formerly, I have my own podcast network, Russo'sBrand.com. You are listening to The Marvelous with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelist, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, joining us on the other end of the tin can string, all the way on the West Coast, we are joined with Vince Russo. Vince, how are you? I am doing okay, gentlemen. How are you? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. You set the man up for such an intro, and that was it? Uh, <laughs> It's a time issue, Eddie. Yes, it's always time. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I was going to make an Alan Parsons Project reference, but I couldn't really think of something good enough. The song is there. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. So, Hootie and the Blowfish also. Anyway. Really? Anyway, Vince, you are a fan of pop culture. You're a fan of comic books. You're a fan of a certain caped crusader all the way in Gotham, New Jersey. You are a fan of all of this stuff. But how did you become a fan of this growing up? You know, I, I I collected comics as a kid, and that's where I think it started at two places. I, I can remember um, in 1967 when Marvel had a cartoon series on TV, and I can remember it was split between, like, Spider-Man and Hulk and Thor, um, and I started watching that, so that would have put me at about six years old. At around the same time I started collecting comic books, I'm going back to, I can remember when comic books were a dime. They were 10 cents, then they went up to 12 cents, then they went up to 15 cents. So when I was a a kid, I was an avid, avid collector of comic books. Were there any characters that you kind of gravitated towards? Yeah, definitely Spider-Man for whatever reason, and I don't know exactly why, but I'd say right behind Spider-Man, I was a big, big mark to the Fantastic Four. Really? Uh, Any particular favorite members of the group? Oh, well, Ben Grimm. Yeah, I was a big fan of Ben Grimm. I mean, the Thing, who could, who was better than the Thing? So I, I was really a big fan of his. And it's kind of funny that you mention your love of Spider-Man as well, by the way. In professional wrestling, you're known as the guy who's responsible for the swerve, the complete 180 of a story. Was there ever a bigger swerve in comic book history than the death of Gwen Stacy? Uh, no, that, that was a uh, absolute, absolute shocker. So, no, I, man, come to think of it, I really can't think of there ever being a bigger swerve than that. Here's the really, really big question that i got to know, Vince. Whatever happened to those 10- and 12-cent comic books? I know, bro. I remember, man, like literally, you literally went down to the corner store with a dollar and you left that store with 10 comic books, man. I'll never forget it. But where are they now? That's my one and all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. 
And, you know, with comic books, there's a lot of different parallels between Marvel and DC. And were you ever, like, much of a DC fan growing up, other than your love of Batman 66? Yeah, no, it was always Batman. I mean, it was it was always Batman. I wasn't even into Superman. I mean, it was... It was my, my, my two go-to guys really were, you know, like I said, Spidey with Marvel and definitely Batman when it came to DC. And there's something, you know... When you were a kid growing up, you got to watch Batman 66 as it was going around, you know, the Adam West era. Being around for that time, how massive was that? Was it as comparable to Batman 89, how Batman was everywhere as well? Well, I can remember. I mean, guys, you got to understand the very first episode of uh, Batman 66, um, I was five years old because, you know, I was born in 61. But, man, I got to tell you, I remember watching in real time the very first episode. And I remember in that first episode, um, you know, Robin got kidnapped. I believe it was Frank Gorsh, and I believe it was the Riddler. I think that was the first episode. Man, I can remember watching that first episode. You don't remember many things as a five-year-old kid. But that, that really is how much impact that had on me all the time. And, yes, it was everywhere. I remember uh, Adam West being on the cover of Life magazine, which I have a copy of. I remember at around the same time I got my tonsils taken out and my parents came to the hospital and brought me, like, this huge plastic Batman cowl that you put right over your head. <laughs> Uh, then there was the Batman trading card. So, yeah, bro, Batman was everywhere in 66. And it's interesting that in that time, Marvel was on top of things with animation. DC was on top of things with live-action television. You know, you have the uh, George Reeves Superman the decade prior. You have Batman 66. And it wouldn't be until like, maybe the 1970s when Lou Ferrigno comes around with Bill Bixby doing The Incredible Hulk. And, like, I think, Eddie, the mid-70s? Incredible Hulk? Yeah, mid to late 70s. Coming to the late, yeah. And it's kind of wild to see that, but if you had the ability to, would which Marvel character would you have brought to the forefront in the 1960s in a live-action television series? Wow. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, think, you know, of course, I would say if it were me, because they were four different personalities, I would, I would say the Fantastic Four, but then you gotta look at how limited you were in the 60s. So, like, what would you really have been able to do with those characters? I mean, you didn't have CGI and all the effects that you have today. So, whereas that would have been my number one choice, I'm kind of a little afraid of what that might have looked like. You know, like, Lost in Space comes to mind. And, you know, if the Fantastic Four looked like Lost in Space, I think it would have been a little lame. Exactly. I'm thinking too, Vince, how far did you go with the comics? How how long do you remember collecting up until, and what was the price of them at that point? I can remember the price got about over a dollar. I think I think I can remember the price going to a dollar twenty-five, and this is the God honest truth. When I was about sixteen years old, Christmas was coming around. Maybe I was fifteen or fifteen or sixteen. Christmas was coming around, and I needed money to buy 
gifts for my family. I, I wasn't working. I was too young to work at the time. And I needed money, and I wound up selling my entire comic collection. And he went And I got cash for my comic collection. And from, from that moment forward, I really only went out of my way to get, like, the special comics. I wasn't as much of an avid collector as I once was. Now, you're known as being a big fan of the legendary rock group KISS, and in the 1970s, Marvel partnered up with them to create a magazine, which at one point there was the big mix-up with the blood in the ink, and somehow it ended up in a Sports Illustrated magazine. But I digress. There's just oh so much. Isn't it appropriate that they not only made their appearances in Marvel with the magazines, the, the band KISS made their comic book debut in Howard the Duck. You know, I did not know that. That is a trivia question there that I did not know. I do remember when that comic book came out, and I do remember Stan Lee and the blood being put in the vat with the ink, uh, and definitely going out and getting that comic book. I mean, I definitely remember that point in time. And, you know, one of the other things about you is your love of music. I actually recently ended up getting off of you from uh, eBay you have your own eBay record store. And as a fellow vinyl aficionado, it is your opportunity. Plug the heck out of it. I Yeah, I have my own vinyl record store. And guys, I'm telling you, if you go on there and check out the prices, it's Venom Vinyl. Um, if you check out the prices, guys, I'm not. <laughs> they are very cheaply priced. It is my hobby. I love music. I've got a vinyl collection of over 3,500 albums. And I just, I want to share vinyl with people. I, I mean, I love vinyl. I've always loved vinyl. I'm, I want to get vinyl out there. So that's why I started Venom Vinyl, man, to really pass along my love of vinyl to people. You know, I will personally autograph the albums for you upon your request. Um, but it really is to, let's just go back in time. Um, I, I love my records, man. I, I, I've got a whole uh, vinyl room. And, uh, yeah, if you check out Venom Vinyl, I'm uh, always, always, always putting new titles on there. And, you know, we're currently recording in the 95.9 VOS FM station. And one of the things about this little room that we're in right now, this is Eddie's. DJ booth and there's things on the wall you know different records he has you know the Def Leppard Hysteria he's got uh, Journeys What? which one is that Raised, Raised on Radio Raised on Radio I'm not thinking of the Ravens and then on my left he's got three records he's got uh, Orange One which what is that Eddie? That's uh, R.E.M. Right. Orange Crush that, that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> the clear one over here is which? Is a Duran Duran and he has a see-through green for poison, Cry Tough. And one of the things I love about vinyl is that ability to have such a unique look to it, you know? And what are some of your favorite vinyls that are, you know, they have the color, you know, to them? Well, you know what? To me, to me, it really is the cover. To me, it's all about the cover. And I love Man, I, I wish I was born back in that... Yeah, I was born in 61, but I wish I was a teenager back in that 60s psychedelic era. Mm. I love all that stuff, man. I love, you know, Mamas and the Papas. You know, I love, you know, Janis Joplin, the Zombies, 
that whole era of music. Um, I'm drawn to the album covers. I love the artwork. Um, I'm drawn to albums, too, that would not be considered popular. Like, I have every single Tiny Tim album uh, ever put on vinyl. I'm a huge, huge Tiny Tim mark. So I, I, I search for those like novelty albums, the albums that you wouldn't necessarily find everywhere and are, are difficult to find also. It's kind of funny because, you know, my mom uh, handed me down her entire collection, and there's random stuff in there, like Convoy, for some reason, isn't in there. And I don't know why, but she she had, like, a massive love of, like, novelty records as well and just, like, certain things I would see in there. Are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I love the... like I love buying the old cartoon records. I mean, I've got a bunch of you know soupy sale records, and I also love uh, I love collecting soundtracks, especially old soundtracks. Once in a while, you'll really find an oddball soundtrack, and you know you can't even, like Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Like, who would have thought Beneath the Planet of the Apes would have been on vinyl? But it actually is. There's a uh, record or an antique shop by us that I've been frequenting like every other weekend now, and I've come across so many great records. And I might have to be uh, your hookup for that. I'll uh, give you some uh, recommend, or I'll let you know some of the stuff they have there. Much like you, oh, they're very too. fair price. Yeah, I mean that that that's my hobby. I mean, I I'd say out of the week, I probably go to thrift stores at least five days out of the week constantly constantly you know hunting for treasures and new albums i don't own what is your absolute holy grail find that you've been able to achieve oh man i man i found a couple of them uh, as a matter of fact man just the other day i found in mint condition i'm talking about the cellophane still on the album the very very first john prine album and if you know john prine he was a famous folk singer, just passed away, and I found his very first album, and I log everything in Discogs, and uh, basically I went to log it in, and the album went for 150 bucks. By the way, when you mentioned the singer's name, Eddie's eyes started to squint. He's like, yes, I think I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> I kind of know that name. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also, of course, with record hunting, one of the absolute best things about it is when you can find something for next to nothing and for myself oh yeah the other uh, another one man i just found this about a month ago i found again mint condition new order substance and they they new order never reissued that and i went online and you know bro that was a 200 dollar album Eddie actually uh, has sold off many of his uh, records. I, how many do you have left anymore? No, mm. they weren't sold off. They were they were damaged in a flood. And between albums, oh and man, that would kill me. It, that would it, kill it kind me. of did. Some of them that I wanted to, that I still need to, and want to transfer are you know sleeveless, and the forty fives. Now I had about six or seven hundred records. I'm going to say. But we had this flood in 2011, and I had a collection of about twelve, thirteen hundred forty fives. Those I said, you know what, I can't even. Um, I've got a lot of them on CD. I'm not even going to bother. Those just went. So, you know, made a little space, but, you know, that's that's what it is. That's, you, you, know, you, nature. you want to hear a funny story as it relates to the comics? This is a funny story. I told you, I started collecting. I must have been about six. They were about 10 cents a piece. 
And then, like I said, probably 10 years later, I went to sell the whole lot. Um, and, you know, so some of the titles I had, I mean, would blow your socks off. But what I didn't realize was because I had accumulated them at a very young age, my mother in Magic Marker put my initials on the front of every comic because <laughs> she was afraid I was going to get them stolen from me. So, like, on every comic, it was like VR, 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 VR. And that brought the price of the collection down dramatically. My, uh, well, how old were you when that happened? When she would write the, the uh, initials on them? I, I was about six when I started yeah. collecting. Yeah. My uh, friend Jared, my former co-host of Inside the Bat Cave, uh, he informed me he had a copy of Watchmen, and his mother wrote inside of it. You know, in case the same thing happened. That was when he was nineteen years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> poor Jared. But. Well, I gotta ask Vince before we let that one go because that's just a tough concept for me to gri- gri- deal with here. I understand it though. Grapple. No, when you're 16 and you're getting gifts for your friends, family, or whatever, and you're selling off your comic books, that tells me you're very generous, kind-hearted, good-hearted about that, and/or you were growing out of the comics. So, which was it? Both? I don't know. I think it was a combination of both. I mean, I, I, I really, really do. One of the things too about me you know, guys, is, you know, even I've made a career as a writer, and I've even written a couple of books, but guys, I hate to read. Like, I am very, very, very visual, but I do not enjoy reading, and I think the older I got, the less and less I was, you know, interested in reading anything. Like, everything had to be visual, so you know, I would graduate. I would gravitate more, you know, to the movies that were being made, to the television shows, and that type of thing. And um, I just, I lost interest in reading. Now, Vince, since you're known as a big fan of Batman '66, I thought I'd pose a special little challenge to you for this. Now, you're a writer, you create, and I thought this would be a neat idea. Vince Russo does Batman '66. Season 4. This would have been in 1968 to 1969. And I decided I want to throw some uh, little conditions in here. You have an unlimited budget. So any character you want can be played by whoever you want during that time. It's not a condition. It's a, well, it's a, it's a, it's a total a, opposite. It's a, well, it's a great thing. But there are conditions. <laughs> Due to this happening, the season is having half their budget cut in half. Not just that, they're also having episodes cut in half. So, on average, the series would be about 30 episodes, 15, you know, each part one, and then 15 each part two. A lot of cliffhangers. So, this season is going to be 16 episodes. You get, you know, two, 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 etc. Two episodes can be, or have to be about Two-Face. They are going to be adapting the Harlan Ellison script. But you can pick who you want to have be Two-Face. And finally, because it always happened, Catwoman is getting recast yet again. So you pick a new actress for Catwoman. Can't be anyone previous. It's got to be somebody completely new. But you have free reign of whatever villains you want to use, whatever characters you want to use. If you want to bring a crossover from another TV show that's you know going on at the time, if you want to see Batman 66... Ugh. If you want to see Batman 66 meets Petticoat Junction, you are more than likely to. 
So there you go. Well, well, I got to tell you uh, right off the bat, I'm, I'm going to play along with this uh, uh, scenario, but I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if, if Julie Newmar is out, I'm, refu- I'm refusing to do it. Well, then we're going to. Yeah, I'm refusing to do it. But in this scenario, uh, I will do this because you're asking me. Um, but God, man. Okay, so I've got to replace them with people that were popular back in that day, 66? Correct. 66, 68, something like that. They could wow, be popular okay. musicians. Wow. Well, you know, an interesting Catwoman, and I'm going to say somebody who was kind of, well, man, kind of over at that time. I'm trying to think around that era. Um, somebody who was very attractive and was kind of played somewhat that type of a role. If you remember uh, Barbara Feldon from Get Smart. Remember Barbara Feldon, Agent 99? Oh, yeah. I think that would have made a very, very interesting Catwoman. She, she was sexy. The outfit would have fit her well. She, uh, she was smart. And um, I think Batman would have definitely been attracted to her, much like he was to uh, the Julie Newmar Catwoman. So I think I would go with Barbara Feldon. That's a damn good pick. I'll tell you right now. Yep. Now, see, I think when we're talking about Two-Face, it's got, I'm almost thinking like it's got to be a comedian. It's got to be somebody that's really, really, really over the top. So I'm just trying to go back to that day, um, you know, just thinking of what comedian would be able to, um, uh, what, what, what comedian would be able to pull that off? Maybe. Joey Bishop. Maybe a. Maybe a very young uh, George Carlin. Wow, you oh that possible? <laughs> yeah, you got the budget. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. I'm going with a very young George Carlin. This role would have put him on the map, and I'm going with. Uh, I'm going with Barbara Feldon as my Catwoman. Very cool. Any uh, any villains you would want to see during this run? Uh, well, I, you see, that's the thing, man. You, you're asking me about a show that I loved dearly, and like I just think everybody was casted perfectly. Like, so there really isn't like one villain. Um, you know, I, I would be disappointed in, or there isn't one villain that I would want to recast. I just think, man, I, I, I just think everything was casted perfectly. Maybe I would have given, without a shadow of a doubt, um, I would have given a, a Egghead definitely more exposure. I would have given him a run. He, he would have gave you know Riddler and Joker a run for their money. I don't think they used Vincent Price in that role enough. And, you know, by the way, on the topic, going back over to Catwoman, we got a question uh, from HorrorMovieBarbecue.com. Chad Young, if my phone will unlock... Uh, Yvonne Craig over Julie Newmar, and why am I right? Uh, no, wrong. <laughs> Listen, y- 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 I'll tell him why. Who is this now? Who asked the question? Uh, Chad Young of HorrorMovieBarbecue.com. Chad, with all due respect, uh, Yvonne Craig was gorgeous. Gorgeous, sexy, the whole nine yards. But you put her next to Julie Newmar and Catwoman. Ju- Julie Newmar was like a woman 
Um, you know, Yvonne Craig, the Batman role, uh, the Batgirl role, she was more like a teenage, you know, girl next door type. Uh, Catwoman was a full-blown woman. I think that was the difference in the two characters. I think you're absolutely right. And um, maybe fast forward to, you know, Alicia Silverstone, if you if you want to compare to Yvonne Craig. I don't know. Alicia Silverstone was uh, Batgirl. Batgirl not yeah, Catwoman. she was Batgirl, yeah. I, I'm comparing the young oh, you know, oh, oh, oh. aspect. I'm yeah. terrible at this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Vince, that's going to wrap this episode up. But before we go, we want to say a major thank you for appearing on the show today. No, thank you, guys. And anytime, you know, when, when somebody wants to talk about Batman 66, I stop everything. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on the show. All right, so Vince, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Well, I, I'm everywhere on social media. I've been uh, I've been podcasting now for five years, so I've got a brand uh, that's very successful. I have a lot of uh, you know former wrestlers you know on there with me. We do many different shows, and I would just say go to Russo'sBrand.com. That's the main hub, and that will send you everywhere you need to go. You could also follow me on Twitter at TheVinceRusso. So, for The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Vince Russo. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! And now it's Obsessed with Marvel. Vince Russo, our guest. Here we go. Question number 2,000 out of a possible 2,500 questions. Who did not write one of the first six issues of Tomb of Dracula? Choices are Gardner Fox, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman, or Archie Goodwin. First one, Gardner Fox, because he wasn't around during that time. Okay, I'm not even sure I recognize the name, but that's just me. Who did not write one of the first six issues of Tomb of Dracula? Again, Gardner Fox, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman, Archie Goodwin. You have a guess, Vince? I'm going to guess with the Jerry Fox there, because I don't have a clue. Okay, you're going with the Fox also? Yeah. All right, what the fuck say? Let's go letter A. No. Oh. The answer is Marv Wolfman. Ah, ooh. <laughs> Wolfman. Wolfman yeah, well, just, okay. Well, he must have come along later then because I immediately associated with Marv to uh, to that. All right. And his hair was perfect. And his hair was perfect. jeez. Oh, Vince, this is what I have to work with. Please have pity on me. <laughs> or try to. All right, so let's go down to 995. The question is... Which former Spider-Man enemy joined the Avengers? I know this one. Is it Sandman? Yep. Electro? No. Boomerang? Nope. Or the Puma? Nada. Join the Avengers. What well, alternate reality? Know, if, if, it, if it's Sandman, I didn't know Sandman joined the Avengers. But if you say Sandman, I believe that it's Sandman. But I did not know that. Again, the guess is letter A. Could this be a pattern of... One wrong and one right this time, but we'll try Peter. He's kind of gloating like, you better push A, Eddie. Okay, A. It is the Sandman. A of Henry Winkler and uh, Fonzarelli. Proportions. Recently turned 75, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Hey. It's A, Eddie. Uh, Well, there's no hey. Hey is for horses. Okay. 760. When did Henry Pym first appear as Ant-Man? Choices. Tales to Astonish, number 35. Tales to Astonish number 27, Strange Tales 75, or Tales to Astonish 
44. It's Tails. I think it's B. 27? Yeah, it's an early Tales to Astonish. It's uh, it's easy to get it down to three guesses, because I do believe, yes, Tales to Astonish. Henry Pym, first appearance. I don't appearance. know any of these, but I'm agreeing with everything he says. I'm going B. Go. <laughs> so Peter's leading the way, B, number 27. Could that be correct? No, it is not correct. Then it the, might answer be the first one. Is the, the first one? Yeah, number thirty-five. Okay. Yeah, a. So you get one. What do we get? One and a half out of three now on this on these questions. One more, and we're good to go. Because uh, that's somehow what we wind up with is four. Narrator, okay. guess what happens? Uh, it could go either way. One thousand seven hundred and five zero. Bam. Thank you, Emerald. <laughs> what is unusual physically? About Master Menace. He is entirely hairless. He's got a club foot. His hair grows rapidly. His face is horribly scarred or nothing. <laughs> that is an answer. And I think it's going to have to be nothing. Something tells me. My, sure. My Eddie sense. Are you, are you going along with us again, Vince? I'm going along with it, man. Yeah, you All take, right. it, take it away, man. Let's go with nothing. No. <laughs> Watch it's A. Watch it's A. Well, it's it's B. His oh. hair grows rapidly. Master Menace. Oh my gosh. That's a killer. <laughs> well, we, we're out of here in a big way now. We got to really bone up on this stuff. <laughs> Excelsior and so forth.